Rooted in the being dimension, in this podcast, Eckhart answers questions like, is it possible to remain in a permanent state of acceptance? And how do we deal with our fears about what others think of us? Eckhart says, it's not realistic to expect that we will be consistently peaceful and harmonious. The challenges of our lives will affect us, but not at the core of who we are. We remain rooted in what Eckhart calls the being dimension. He explains we go beyond the duality of happiness and unhappiness to find peace. Eckhart says the degree to which we are free from the opinions of others depends on our connectedness to the deeper dimension of who we are. Hello. Thank you so much for its teachings. Uh, my question is, is it possible to be permanently in that state of profound peace, love and happiness and, and deal with the challenge from there? Or we will always be pulled into and out of that state through the challenge? Right. Is it possible to be always in the state of, what did you say, a state of? A profound peace where you are the peace and the love and the happiness. Thank you. Thank you. It would not be advisable to have, have a certain expectation that you need to arrive at a place where you are always at peace and whatever word you want to use it, always, always the same peaceful state. I can only talk from my own experience or realization and what I have observed in others who have gone through the awakening process or are going through the, are going through the awakening process. It's inevitable that there will be certain fluctuations in your life. There may be fluctuations on the physical level. There may be times when you have less physical energy than at other times when you have more physical energy. Then there may be certain events in your life that happen that you could be on a beautiful vacation somewhere or in a beautiful natural setting and feeling very peaceful, or you could just have achieved something that is you have desired, you achieved professional success or whatever, and then you feel very happy. And then there may be other times when you lose something big, something is taken away, somebody dies close to you. These are external things. These fluctuations will affect you to some extent, but never at the core of who you are. So what remains in the background is that field of peace. So if somebody dies next to close to you, your a parent or even a child dies, of course you feel sad. You feel, you weep, you cry, and the sadness will linger for some time and come in waves, come and go. And yet, what does not happen, despite the sadness, you do not become devastated. It does not devastate you to the core of your being. There remains in the background a substratum, to use a term from geology, <laughs> there remains a substratum of peace. Even there may be some turmoil on the surface, but there's not 
you're never totally caught up in that. There's, there's always that you can step back and you're aware of that background of peace. It's always that's there. On the surface, you may weep and cry if you're standing at the grave of a loved one, and yet you are not devastated, as to use that term. There is still a peace in the background. The opposite is also true. When something wonderful happens to you, uh, let's say you suddenly, well, some people think something wonderful would be to win the lottery, <laughs> or you you get the big promotion, or, or uh, you suddenly become famous. <laughs> Many people want that. They think that would be that would be the greatest. They, they've asked many youngsters, what do you really want to be, be in, become in life? <laughs> in the past, the youngsters used to say, I want to become whatever, a fireman, or I want to become a, a footballer, I want to become whatever. But now a, a significant section of people, youngsters that they ask, they say, I want to become famous. <laughs> this is the effect of things like Instagram and so on. Some say, I want to become an influencer. Instagram inf influencer has relatively little meaning, but so famous is something that many people think that's the greatest thing that could happen to you. So let's then the other extreme, something that's great happens to you and you feel, wow, wonderful, great. Yes, but, but even that, you don't completely lose yourself in that. You don't, it doesn't take you over to an absurd degree where you, you, over, you, you overvalue an external circumstance to an absurd degree. The overvaluing of an external circumstance that happens to you, uh, you say, that's it, that's it. No, it's not. So you can be pleasant. So you, it's great, you're happy. Yes, you're happy. But you're not lost in your happiness. There's still the, the same background of peace. And because if something makes you happy, some circumstance, makes you happy, very often the same circumstance at a later point will make you unhappy. <laughs> so I have met quite a few so-called famous people and they've told all the same story. At first they were elated and then they became actually more unhappy than they were before <laughs> because they could no longer project some future stage that's going to make them happy because they had already achieved all the things that they could have projected in conventional terms. They could have projected that could make them happy. Lots of money, a private jet, fame and fortune. Uh, got all that, what now? So you don't lose yourself neither in the so-called negative things that happen, nor in the so-called positive things that happen. So you remain rooted in the being dimension. What happens on the level of the person? Yes, you can be happy. Unhappiness, deep unhappiness does not happen anymore. You, you can be kind of feel sorry about something that happened, but it's not really unhappiness. Some spiritual teachers use the term happiness, but I believe it's not, maybe it's a mistranslation. Some people say, some teachers say, your true nature is happiness. 
I wouldn't use the term to describe this, the deeper uh, state of connectedness with being, I would not describe that as happiness because happiness is, wow, isn't it great? Yeah, great, so wonderful. Oh, and then the next day, oh my God, oh no, you got, you, that's unhappiness, happiness, unhappiness. I believe in the power of now, I wrote a chapter that's, the title of the chapter is Beyond Happiness and Unhappiness, There is Peace. Beyond happiness and unhappiness, there is peace. And so that means neither the happiness nor the unhappiness are that pronounced anymore. It doesn't mean that don't, you haven't lost anything. The enjoyment of life, you might think, oh, I can't enjoy the good things anymore. No, you, st you still enjoy them, but you don't overvalue circumstances. And so the, the feeling of goodness comes from a deeper place. It does not come from the circumstances of your life. That's where you're going, where you're moving towards. So don't expect to be totally free of the fluctuating, somehow superficial reaction to the circumstances of your life. They're a little bit there, a little bit, but not at the, the deepest core, you're rooted in being. So you, you become no longer at the mercy of circumstances in your life. You welcome the good things and you accept the not good things. They, oh, there's surrender, acceptance, if, if, unless you can change something. You accept, you welcome. And in a strange way, you find that um, you're less likely to awaken than in the bad times. That's universally true. In your comfort zone, you are less likely to awaken because who would want to awaken from a pleasant dream? Oh, it's so nice. But when the pleasant dream turns into a nightmare, then the incentive to awaken is really there. I can't stand this anymore. So it's only when you're out of your comfort zone that spiritual awakening becomes possible. So welcome whatever arises, still be pleased when, when it's good and when it's not good or it doesn't look good, then practice acceptance. To, and, and if you cannot accept at first and you feel angry or sad, then you practice secondary acceptance. First acceptance is what the, the circumstance or the event. Secondary acceptance is you might feel angry or sad about something, then you simply accept that you feel angry or sad right now. So if you miss the first chance of acceptance, <laughs> then you react, and then you become aware of your reaction, and then you say, okay, I'm, I feel sad or angry. You, that's what is right now. So you always get another chance of acceptance. And the acceptance is the doorway that always connects you or reconnects you with the dimension of being. That's the, the opening into, into being through the acceptance. Acceptance of what is this moment. Acceptance of what is connects you with the being dimension. When you accept what is, you're no longer 
as far as your inner state is concerned, you're no longer at the mercy of what is out there. So you, you realize your inner state is no longer dependent on external conditions. And that's a wonderful liberation because external conditions are extremely unstable. <laughs> Nothing lasts for very long. Thank you. Uh, hello. Uh, my question, Eckhart, thank you for, for giving me this opportunity, is in regards uh, to know which is your views in regards to coronavirus and these past two years and the approach that has been taken. And um, I'm very aware of the suffering and my heart goes with people that have suffered and still are suffering. Um, myself, I am not vaccinated. I'm 43, not vaccinated. I have decided not to. And I have most of the time I feel peace within that decision. But at times I also feel like judged by, by others. Uh, sometimes uh, my family, my husband, no, he's vaccinated himself, but he's very uh, supportive. And also I feel at times also isolated because you, every, Noah, everyone I know has taken a, a different path. And although I don't want to convince anybody to do something different, I, it saddens me a little bit that um, thinking that we may take in a choice due to fear. So my question is really, I don't fear the virus, and I say this with the greatest respect, but I sometimes feel like I fear what others can be, what others can think of me. So is this fear ego? Also, how long can someone, how can someone be strong enough to recognize the inner voice and despise uh, being perceived as careless to continue uh, following the inner voice? And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what others, the first question is what others think of you, to what extent? Does it affect me? Does it affect you? What others think of you? Well, the more you are identified with an image of who you are, which is ego, the more important it will be for it to you what image of you other people have. So the degree to which you are free from being affected by other people's opinion of you that depends on your connectedness with the deeper dimension of who you are beyond the person, the being dimension. When you're rooted in being, then whatever opinion somebody may have of you is not terribly important anymore. Yes, it's nice that for other people to think you're a great person, then for other people to think you're the bad person, again, this connects with what we said in the previous, the previous question. Uh, it may affect you a little bit if somebody thinks badly of you and you feel a little bit, a little bit happy when some other people think well of you, that's fine, but it doesn't affect you at the deepest depth. The main work is to awaken to who you are beyond the person, then yes, you still get affected a little bit by what other people think of you, but not at a, at a deep level anymore. And then you can tolerate even not being liked by others. When you become 
well known, then obviously anybody who does something in this world to make a difference, no matter what you do, will also generate a lot of opposition and dislike. So anybody, no matter what you do, when you put your, you create something, you put yourself out there, many people may love you and others may hate you. I realized that many years ago when I <laughs> the first book came out and then the internet started happening and um, I started reading comments on what other people thought of the power of now. And at first they were all wonderful and they said, oh, I feel that's very nice, I feel good. And then as it became more widespread and reached other people, people in the mainstream, then this certain segment were very negative. And I could feel a little bit of, oh, reading a negative comment doesn't not feel as good as reading a positive comment. And then uh, later on, as I became more well-known, then there were many, many positive comments, just wonderful. And like 5%, 10% very negative comments about this dreadful guy. Who does he think he is? Terrible charlatan, the Antichrist, all kinds of... Uh, of course, Antichrist must be true because I'm... Uh, helping people find inner peace, so it must be the Antichrist, of course, anyway. But I've, I found the strange thing is the, the negative comments are more memorable than the positive ones. That's just how the human mind works. <laughs> so I could read 30 positive comments and three negative comments, and the next day I would forget all the positive comments. I still remember the negative ones. <laughs> this is how all human minds operate. Negative things are more memorable than, than positive things, it seems. I call that stickiness. They have a stickiness. They get they sticky thoughts in your mind. Anyway, I, I decided then at some point not to read any comment. And for, for the past years, I haven't read hardly any comment about what anybody says. It it's, doesn't matter. It's, I don't want the stickiness of the negative ones or the good ones. It's fine. I let go of that completely. And that's very liberating. But um, the, in the greater context of the, the virus, now you might have noticed that there's an enormous amount of emotion around it in, in human beings. Uh, there's an enormous amount of animosity towards other one group against another group. There's an enormous amount of fear around it. And fear, of course, as we know, diminishes your ability to think rationally. I could tell you now what my position is about the virus and the vaccine and so on, but I'm not going to because who cares what my position is? And if I told you what my position is, if I either said you, those who refuse the vaccine are really they're irresponsible and selfish and they're not thinking of others and it's just dreadful. Or if I said those who take the vaccines, they are and they and who love the mandates, they are really sheep. They're just being allowing themselves to manipulate it by these irrational, crazy politicians, and they're total sheep, they don't know what they're doing. Whatever I said, I would lose 
one third of my audience <laughs> in whatever direction, because there would be a, a reaction. Ah, uh, he's against the vaccine, or he's, he wants us to be sheep, or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. The important thing, my job, is to help you birth the awareness. When the awareness is there, you will know what is right for you to do, because that's wisdom arises with the awareness. I'm not here to convince you of this or that, or, or, or whatever it may be, pol political or whatever it may be. It's all secondary. It's all secondary. The main work is my purpose, and for some of you, it's arising as your purpose also, is to be the bringer of awareness to this world. Your contribution to this world is awareness, consciousness. Then humans, when the awareness is there, whatever humans decide to do will come from a place of wisdom. Wisdom, a word that's not used a lot nowadays, but it's extremely important that any decision you make comes from the deeper place of, of wisdom. And so whatever it is, be very alert so that you don't get taken over by a fear reaction. And on top of fear, often anger arises. Anger, in most cases, is there's fear underneath anger. There's fear, then comes anger. So if you're, if you're angry with a group of humans who are not I have the opposite views from your views, then it's something to be aware of, to observe in yourself and to observe your thoughts and to observe the emotion, bring awareness to whatever it is that you feel. That's uh, anger is a good thing to be aware of when you notice it. Where does it come from? What, what is it? What thoughts are creating the anger? What thoughts in your mind? What is the fear beyond it? Our society has been uh, very reluctant to deal with death or the possibility of death. So to some extent, the, the virus, although the likelihood that an, that an individual, unless the individual is old or has certain preconditions, uh, the likelihood may be relatively small that you die of the virus unless you are careless or you're old or already ill. The possibility is there. And so uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to look death in the face, the inevitability of death, because don't wait until death is actually very close to you, but it, you'd never know how close it is, but become aware of the inevitability of death and the fact that human life, the life of form is short-lived and become aware of that in you that is beyond death, which means it is the invisible you, which is almost all of you is, the in, is an invisible being and die to the image of who you are, the person. So there's no longer total identification with the person. The being is eternal. The being beyond the person is eternal. The, the Buddhists use the term the deathless, amara, deathless, no death. It is a dimension in yourself 
that you can become aware of. In fact, it is the awareness itself. Jesus called it eternal life, which is the same thing. Eternal means timeless, eternal life. So die, the famous saying, die before you die. Die to who you think you are. Die to the, the egoic image of who you are. And you die in the, every moment when the, the stream of thinking stops and a space of awareness arises, you have died for a few seconds. The person has died and then the person becomes revived. The person, this consciousness, a person is consciousness incarnating into form, you could say. A consciousness assuming a form, that's the incarnation, which to, to become form. And so when you identify, when consciousness is identified with form, consciousness is asleep, it is dreaming the dream of form. Every person is consciousness dreaming the dream of form. And in that collective dream, there comes a moment where the possibility of awakening from this dream arises. And most of you have reached that point, the possibility of awakening from the dream of form, then consciousness detaches from identification with form, primarily form is mental forms, thought forms, because everything that you, everything that you perceive in the so-called external environment you experience it as thought forms. If I look at the table here, I experience this table as a thought form in my mind. Is there really a table there? I don't know, but I know that there's a thought form in my mind that is the table. I experience it as the table. Philosophers, many philosophers asked, is there such a thing as the thing in itself beyond our perception of the thing? We don't know it, it doesn't matter. These are all forms that arise. So identification, consciousness identifies with form, or why, it, I don't know why it, that's part of the evolution of this universe in, in this dimension. It's, there is a dream, consciousness actually wanted to dream, I assume, and then consciousness wants to awaken out of the dream. And that's the decisive, decisive thing, is the awakening out of identification with form. Buddhists talk about the end of reincarnation. But the aim of Buddhists is no longer having to reincarnate from one lifetime to another. They think that's a dreadful thing. So the Buddhist practice is as the purpose of coming to the end of having to reincarnate. And finally, you're free of this compulsion to reincarnate. And Buddhists ask, well, how many more lifetimes do I need before I reach the end of having to reincarnate? And uh, well, maybe some teacher might tell you, if the teacher is not very enlightened, he might tell you, well, you need another, I would say, 25 lifetimes. Um, but it won't happen unless you, at least 10 of those are really miserable. And then perhaps you will awaken. Okay, well, thank you. I, at least I have some hope. Only 25 lifetimes. Okay, it's not that much, I suppose. 
then you have time, time to suffer more. Or a teacher might tell you, you can, you can stop the cycle of reincarnation now, not when you die after death, but now, Why? how, how can I do that? Simply by not reincarnating into the next thought that arises, because thought is primordial form. Not reincarnating into every thought that arises. What does it mean to reincarnate into a thought? It means to completely identify with the thought, to be in the grip of the thought. Then you become the thought or the emotion. You reincarnate in it. it, it you become it. <laughs> So the end of the cycle of reincarnation, if you are able to step out of thought, the compulsion to have to identify with every thought that arises, and you find the space of no thought, which is awareness, you, you have already reached the end of reincarnation. <laughs> so if you do not have to reincarnate into every thought that arises anymore in this lifetime, then you have already died and you do not need to, the compulsion to reincarnate after death as this conscious entity that's still there beyond the body, but still has certain characteristics and needs for another dream. It needs another dream of form. <laughs> and this need for another dream of form, which is another lifetime, is no longer there. And whatever, whatever it does then is a, is a matter we don't need to talk about now. There are other dimensions it can go to, uh, but this, the important thing is, or you might choose to reincarnate to help others. That's what, the, again, the Buddhist teachings say, if you are a bodhisattva, the bodhisattva is the being who has become free of the need to reincarnate, but chooses to reincarnate in order to awaken others. So, Maybe you will do that, who knows? Or you might say, no thanks, I've had enough. <laughs> so the important thing then is to die now, which is quite simply step out of thought, step out of identification with thought into awareness. And then it becomes not that, it's no longer that important what other people think of you. It's very much a surface phenomenon. And then you'll know what is right for you to do in this world also. It's uh, wisdom only arises, the person has no wisdom. The person has no, the person may have kind of intelligence. Intelligence is part of the, 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 the human mind. It's borrowed, it's consciousness too, but consciousness is, that has taken on form. So the person may be intelligent, but completely unwise. Uh, you cannot equate wisdom with intelligence. There are people that are very intellectual or have, have two or three PhDs. And in their field, they are very intelligent. But in actuality, they are really stupid. And they take decisions that are extremely unwise. So it always comes down to the same to the same thing as find who you are beyond the conditioned entity and uh, use the situation of the virus also in so instead of making you unconscious this challenge as it has done to many people 
it can make you more conscious, allow the challenge to make you more present. And this is, I've said that before on various occasions, but it's important to repeat because people tend to forget. There's a line that humans reach. Below this line, whenever they are confronted with adversity, difficulties, challenges for major kind, humans are beyond this line, they tend to lose consciousness when faced with adversity or challenges. They become more unconscious, they're more reactive, more angry, more irrational. Then other humans are above that line when they, they still they encounter also adversity, challenges, big problems, something going wrong. If you're above that line, the challenges that you encounter, whether of a personal kind or collective kind, actually help to make you more conscious. You become more, uh, more alert, more conscious. Acceptance, you practice acceptance of present moment. You go within and if the situation becomes difficult, you become more alert. It's like a dimmer switch, the dimmer switch on the light. When, you are, when things go wrong, you, you, the light goes up. So there's this dividing line. When you reach that, you're above this line, then what, the bad things that happen to you will help to make you more conscious. As long as you're below this line, there's not sufficient awareness yet for this to happen then the bad things that happen to you will make you more unconscious. For most of you, the bad things that happen now will help to make you more conscious. And the bad things, just to use a generic term, bad, <laughs> the, the bad things that happen are extraordinarily important for the total evolution of humanity and consciousness. The bad things are what propel in the evolution of consciousness. That's the weird thing. That your purpose is the transmutation of suffering into consciousness. And so the, the bad things that happen are vitally important. Otherwise, consciousness would not evolve because the bad things are the dream turning into a nightmare. And then you want to awaken. And so the people ask strange things like why the usual argument for the non-existence of God is if there were a God, why would he allow all these terrible things to happen? That's a simple argument for the non-existence of God that you hear all the time. And it sounds quite convincing. They say, well, if there were a God, wouldn't he? I mean, this is the terrible suffering that's happening on the planet. I wouldn't allow that to happen if I were God. People say, I wouldn't allow that. Therefore, if I am morally superior to a to God, obviously, then there is no God. That's the argument. The departure point for this argument is the image of a controlling figure somewhere. This controlling figure could intervene and do things. A controlling father, for most people it's still a father. That is, of course, a complete misperception of what God means. God is, first of all, it is impossible to define what God is. It's the source of all life. A transcendent source of all life. 
God has no location in space or time. You can never say, oh, there's God. But God, the light of God emanates into this dimension gradually, and the light of God is consciousness. And the consciousness that you can sense in yourself as yourself is the light of God. And so there's a gradual evolution in this dimension. And every form of suffering, at some point, you will realize that it was all part of a the, the birth pangs. This is actually a term used by, by St. Paul in the New Testament. The, the birth pangs of the awakening universe is the suffering. It, it's, a, it's a nightmare. It's a bad dream, but it's part of the awakening. Out of that comes consciousness. The caterpillar experiences a very unpleasant death before it becomes a butterfly. And you couldn't explain to the caterpillar what's going to happen to him. He wouldn't understand. So it's a process of transformation. Suffering has its place, and then it can be transcended and overcome. But, but suffering is vitally important up to the, where you reach that line. After you, we go above that line, suffering st still happens, but is continuously transmuted into consciousness. Suffering is transmuted into consciousness. Suffering arises because of the bad things, then transmuted into consciousness. And then suffering is no longer suffering. It becomes presence. Suffering becomes presence. So both in Buddhism and in Christianity, the essential teaching is about the purpose of suffering. In Buddhism, one of the main things Buddha said is, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. There are many things in Buddhism that you read that were added later, scriptures that were written later, attributed to the Buddha, but there are some things that are absolutely so powerful that you knew that's what he actually said. I teach suffering and the end of suffering, which means I show you how suffering arises and I show you how suffering can be transcended. And what about Christianity? The central image of Christianity is a human being nailed to the cross in, in suffering. The central image of Christianity is one of suffering. <laughs> now, many people say, other, if you're a Christian, you may still think, I interpret it in one way. Non-Christians often say, isn't that dreadful? I don't want to see cross. Yeah, there is a deep meaning behind it that could perhaps be intuitively grasped by humans who would not be able to understand it conceptually. So if you identify with the archetype of suffering on the cross, the archetypal human, if you identify it, whenever you encounter your suffering, you can participate in the suffering of Christ. And in the past, humans have done that and have achieved some degree of surrender and awakening by identifying with the archetypal human that you see. He stands for all humans. That's how I see it and for the possibility of rebirth, the possibility of resurrection, which is the transformation, which is the shift in consciousness, the, a new, a, the caterpillar becomes the butterfly. So we have come a, 
long way from your question, but it's all connected. So let's, uh, I trust it makes sense to you. And let's just repeat one more time the importance of adversity, bad things happening. Use them, use whatever happening, whatever happens in your life when it does happen and accept, surrender, become more present through it. Any challenge, difficult situations, difficult people, emotion, people are in deep pain, body, emotion, and so on, be very, very present. There's a, a, a saying in the Latin language uh, from Roman times, which it's a Latin proverb, it goes, uh, per aspera ad astra, which could be translated through adversity to the stars. Aspera is translated as adversity, but literally it means rough, the rough things of life, the, the unpleasantness, the unpleasant things through, through but it's adversity, anything bad, through per aspera ad astra, through adversity to the stars. <laughs> That points is there's a lot of wisdom in that saying. To the stars is a symbol for rising, rising above being merely human, rising to a higher level. Let's say another question. Yes, my question is it was actually my experience um, during my meditation, six days meditation retreat. So uh, prior to the retreat, some stressful event happened. So the first two days, I was thinking heavily of those of that event. And, and I, I know, okay, I should stop thinking. However, I couldn't because I was suffering. And on day three, because I think after talking to counselors, and also kind of sitting in my meditation, I was like, I don't want to think about it anymore. My brain is like so hurting by thinking intensively all day long for two days. So suddenly my brain, the voice in my head, quiet. And I, I heard an inner voice rising and it was a very like soft, loving, wise, like wisdom voice and talking to me and answering all the questions I ask. So I was like, okay, I experienced spiritual awakening. However, the next day, my brain was trying to make sense of it. I was like, how did that just happen? And then I was, I, I was going crazy. I was like, did my mind just make that up? Did my mind just pretend it a spiritual awakening? I still don't know the answer. But I'm just learning to surrender. However, I still want to know what's your thought of the experience I just experienced, I experienced. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, thank you. Very uh, uh, wonderful experience. Now, the, the mind, when it takes over, will always question and doubt. It likes questioning and doubting. It uh, does that a lot. And the mind cannot understand you cannot understand wisdom. The mind itself can understand wisdom, but you can. So if you look back, the was that experience real? The peace that you felt, was that real? Yes. Uh, what is the quality of the thoughts that came to you? You have to, um, 
this is the same thing when um, sometimes when inspiration happens, you connect with the deeper level of who you are, the unconditioned consciousness. And when you connect with that, it sometimes rises into your mind and uses your mind as an instrument. And then you can speak wisdom or you can think thoughts that may be profound or of significance. You can always, you look at what arises if you're in a state of, seems like a state of deep peace and then something comes. What's the quality when you speak? What is it that arises out of that state? That's, that will tell you what is the, you, you recognize him by the fruit, the fruit that comes, if the, that comes from the, the New Testament, that saying. Wisdom arises out of that state. With you, that state was a temporary emergence, and then it got obscured again. When it got obscured again, you lost touch with it and doubt came in and questions were asked and so on. You can recognize that this is what the mind does when doubt comes in. You don't have to believe in every thought that then comes in. And so if you continue to observe the thoughts about it, instead of finding out something significant by thinking about it, then that brings awareness back. Some awareness comes back by observing your thoughts so that you're not completely trapped in the thoughts again. Also, the egoic mind does not like your awakening because that, that means it loses its grip on you. It's, the egoic mind could be seen as a little entity made up of emotional, mental formations is an entity that does not want to give up its hold on you. It thinks it's you. <laughs> Uh, so it likes to interfere with the awakening. It likes to bring up thoughts. For example, I often recommend that people have little short meditations during their daily life when they just take a few conscious breaths as much as they can observe, take a few conscious breaths. And then I often point out, often the mind will tell you, oh, I can't do it now. I don't have the time now. I have so many things to deal with. It's a thought. Now, do you believe in that thought when it says, I can't do it now, I, think, I, don't have, I don't have the time. It's obviously not true because everybody has one minute time, unless you're involved in an emergency situation, everybody has one minute time to take a few, two or three conscious breaths. Everybody, no matter even a busy, very busy person, you have a minute, well, you have a minute to go to the toilet, then you can have a minute to do a little mini meditation. Everybody has, but the mind will tell you, no, no, I can't do it now. I'll, I'll meditate when I'm a bit more peace. I have too much on my plate now, can't do it now. Many thoughts can take you away from awakening. Thoughts that are actually designed to keep you asleep. Thoughts that are designed to keep you identified with thought. This is why fearful thoughts are particularly strong. If, if fear rises, fearful thoughts can really prevent you from awakening for a long, long time because they're empowered by the emotion of fear. So the important thing is don't believe in every thought that comes into your head. 
become aware of the kind of thoughts that arise at any time. This awareness is that's that's the beginning of the state that you had during that time. So it's more likely to come back and then remain in the background so that you have a background to your thoughts that's more important than the thoughts. That's perhaps the vital thing here, to, to be aware of this background to your thoughts, which is the aware space, space of awareness, more important than whatever the thoughts are saying. And that's the, the practice then, is to not to fight the thoughts, but to observe them, to become aware of them so that you are the space and not the thought. The thoughts will succeed many times probably in drawing you in again, but, and then at some point you notice it, usually when you begin to get very unhappy, you become anxious or fearful, or you become whatever the thoughts are doing to you. That can be a great awakener, say, I'm unhappy. Why am I unhappy? And then you look, and then you might say, okay, for the past hour, I've had unhappy self-talk, self-talk, narrative, an unhappy narrative. I'm unhappy because my thoughts are making me unhappy. <laughs> unhappy is a generic term. There may be mild forms of unhappiness when you're just kind of anxious or irritated or, fear, or other more extreme forms of unhappiness. But the greater part of unhappiness is produced by your thoughts. And so if your thoughts are making you unhappy, then become aware of your thoughts so that they lose the power of making you unhappy. And then they gradually dissolve into something else. It's amazing how, how much unhappiness arises for human beings simply out of their mind. Yes, there are difficult situations that may arise quite often, but the greater part of the real unhappiness arises out of identification with narratives, unhappy narratives, because the unhappy narrative becomes an unhappy me, an unhappy self, an unhappy entity, the person, an unhappy person. Repeat it unhappy narratives, identification with unhappy narratives, bring about an unhappy identity. And, uh, and this identity is a self. The Buddhists call it a self. It's a delusion, delusional entity. And humans, many humans carry the burden of a very unhappy self. Their entire life is a bundle of unhappiness. <laughs> they don't know it. This is part of this an aspect of what we described as the dream, the nightmare. It's a very heavy, unpleasant dream. But humans, they, they carry the, the burden of, of an unhappy self. And the unhappy self consists of repetitive narratives that is called my life my dreadful life, my problematic life, my, all my awful, my awful life, me and my life. Sometimes I call it me and my life. And then you have to start thinking about it even more because how can I solve this problem of me and my life? And the more you think about it, the more problematic it becomes. <laughs> but so it's a, 
what people call my life they carry as a burden not realizing it is a it is a mind-made entity a mental emotional entity that they identify with consciousness identifies with and one quick way of getting out of that is present moment awareness and this is why i sometimes say what is your problem now and then you have to admit well right now i don't have a problem right now this is just what is what is right now is this moment is there a problem no well maybe you have a toothache or could be but it's not a it's a toothache it's not a problem but this moment is no problem so you if you the more you step into the now the more you get out of the narrative and as i described in a book somewhere very important your life is not the narrative the narrative is might be your life situation or interpretation of your life situation your life situation is different from your life your life is now and always and only always now my life is only this now consciousness now my consciousness now this is my life is now inseparable from now my life situation involves time it involves past and and future the entire stuff that i need to think about for for it to exist i need to think about it if i don't think about the past it doesn't exist if i don't think about the future there is no future <laughs> future does not exist nobody has ever encountered it it only exists in the mind we need it for practical purposes that's fine no doubt about it but otherwise we don't need it other than practical purposes because it doesn't ultimately exist this only now your life is now become more concerned with your life now pay, give more attention to your life than your life situation should go give more attention to your life now then the funny thing is even your life situation improves <laughs> your life is now life situation is past and future and it's a it's a, a, a mental creation so that's the importance of the that's all part of awakening life and then you experience the fullness of life in the present moment regardless of what's happening the fullness of life is the fullness of being the being that you are beyond the conditioned entity the person so that's the answer i wish you well and continue to observe your mind be the observing space observe it from the space of awareness and rather than being the thought don't believe in every thought that comes into your into your mind thank you so let's uh, just again as we same as we started alpha and omega the beginning and the end is awareness stillness eyes open or closed doesn't matter thank you thank you thank you i'm oprah winfrey and you've been listening to eckhart tolle essential teachings the podcast you can follow these essential teachings on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts if you haven't yet go to spotify and follow this podcast join us next week for more enlightened teachings from eckhart tolle thank you for listening <laughs>